Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 24. Uh, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to them, to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, If you've got a Bible, please have it open to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to work our way through that passage tonight. I want to start by asking you, uh, what holds you back from going all in on Jesus? Uh, Last week, Matthew 7, uh, we finished off uh, the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus finishes by saying that uh, the wise person is one who uh, hears his words and puts them into practice. He says, uh, that is how you stand firm uh, in the the judgment of God. That is the way to eternal life with him. Uh, So what is it that's holding you back from going all in on on Jesus, like he says? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I guess I'm asking why not? Uh, What is it that's holding you back from making that change from onlooker to disciple? Uh, Or if you are a Christian... uh, it may be that you are a Christian, but it still feels like you're kind of not quite all in. That the subject of religion comes up, and uh, you kind of put your head down because you know you're not there yet. Uh, it feels uh, like a big step to be an out there Christian. 
What is it that holds you back? Now, partly that could be down to personality or just confidence, knowing what to say. But I think maybe we're, we're held back because we don't appreciate exactly what Jesus is on about. And Matthew seems to think that we'll find that in his miracles. Uh, his miracles will tell us something about who Jesus is and why he's worth giving everything to. Now, sometimes Christians feel a little sheepish about uh, miracles. Seems far-fetched, like, how can I believe that? Uh, miracles just don't happen. Uh, but before we go on, I want to talk a little bit about scepticism. Uh, scepticism is the thing that we use to protect ourselves. Uh, we hold things as doubtful until we can get some confidence that they're true. And scepticism is good. It's a good thing. Not everything is true. Uh, people do try and trick us. Uh, so a certain level of scepticism is healthy. I'm sceptical when I hear about the McDonald's healthy menu. I'm sceptical that such a thing exists. I'm sceptical that it will be actually healthy for humans. Uh, most of all, I'm sceptical that it will be any good, that it'll, you know, that it'll taste good if it's not uh, full of fat and terrible things. Uh, but that in itself... Uh, and, you know, I may even have reason to be sceptical about McDonald's based on past experience based on what fast food is like. Uh, But that's not enough to rule out the McDonald's healthy menu. Uh, Really, I ought to investigate it. Uh, Maybe it is healthy. Maybe it's delicious. Maybe they've uh, struck gold there. Uh, Scepticism does a great job of protecting us from being scammed, but it turns bad when it prevents us from investigating and getting to the truth. And the miracles of Jesus are just like that. Uh, we need to investigate the bigger question about the reliability of the Gospels, these biographies of Jesus. Are they trustworthy accounts? Uh, Should we believe what's written there? They make amazing claims about Jesus, um, but that doesn't mean that we can just dismiss them. We should uh, check out the evidence. Our scepticism should lead to investigation. Now, you might have uh, questions along those lines about the historicity of the Bible and uh, the accounts of Jesus' life. And if that's so, come grab me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to point you in the direction of some great uh, resources that lay out that evidence. But Matthew presents uh, these miracles as real events with real eyewitnesses that uh, people could go and verify with, uh, check up on. And they're crucial uh, they're, they're crucial to understanding exactly who Jesus is and what he's on about. And so Matthew uh, gives us this summary there in verses 16 and 17. Uh, at the end of these uh, three miracles, uh, verse 16, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So he's quoting from Isaiah 53, and uh, Matthew wants to use that to explain the significance of Jesus' miracles. Uh, Back in Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah is uh, writing about uh, this one called the suffering servant, uh, one who would be sent by God to restore God's people. 
what's happening is that God's God's people are broken. They're, they're suffering because of their sin, because of the way they've turned against God. But this suffering servant's going to come in and, and take on that, that brokenness, to endure that suffering uh, in place of Israel and bring them forgiveness and restore them back to life with God. And so Matthew says, look, Jesus' miracles are, are that they're that thing, the, the physical restoration that Jesus' miracles bring is a taste of, of that greater restoration that the suffering servant was on about. Back to life with God. Physically restored, made whole, yes, but also made right with God. Sins forgiven and washed away. And so Jesus has come to cleanse and to call a new people of God. And that's what his miracles point towards. Uh, They're a taste of that. So let's take a look uh, at those accounts, these miracles. Uh, The first comes about when Jesus is approached by a man with leprosy. And the opening words cut right to the chase. Uh, Verse 2, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He knows from what he said about Jesus that he's able to heal him. Uh, These reports about Jesus have circulated, but the question is, is he willing? To have leprosy in the Jewish world was to be completely cut off. Uh, You were considered unclean. Uh, You couldn't live in the community. You had to live out by yourself because if you touched anything, then you defiled it. Uh, People, anything. You, you, You defiled things that you came into contact with. And so the question is, is Jesus willing? And verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. See how it's spelled out? He reached out his hand and he touched him. He's come to cleanse and to call a new people of God. And it's not just about the physical healing. Uh, Jesus tells him to go to the temple, uh, to go through that formal process of being readmitted uh, back into the temple, back into the life of the people of God. Uh, See what Jesus' miracle is doing? It's, It's making him part of God's people once again, restoring him back to God. And in fact, all of the three healings in this section uh, we find Jesus reaching out to outsiders, people who didn't have a place in the uh, religious life of Israel, people who are less important, uh, a leper, a Gentile, and a woman. But Jesus' miracles here show his compassion, uh, that he's come in order to restore people who are far off, a world that is broken and estranged from God. And God's people uh, understand that. There was a man named Wellesley Bailey. Uh, He was born in Ireland in the 1840s and as he travelled around the world, became a Christian and later on travelled to India. And as he went through India, it's the 1840s, and he was shocked to see the treatment of uh, people with leprosy there. And because... God had forgiven him. 
because he'd experienced the grace of the gospel of Jesus, he had compassion on these outcasts from society. And so he uh, started what is still known today as the Leprosy Mission, a Christian mission uh, sent to care for people with leprosy and to tell them the good news of Jesus. Here's what he said about that work of starting the Leprosy Mission. He said, if ever there was a Christ-like work in the world, it is to go amongst these poor sufferers and bring them the consolation of the Gospel. He understood that it was a very Christian thing to do, uh, to love the outcast and to, to work at restoring them to God, to call them back to a God uh, who loves them and whose work is to restore this broken world back to him. And he did that by telling them the gospel, the good news about Jesus. That's the first account, uh, Jesus healing the man with leprosy. The second one is the account of the centurion. And that's the key piece of information here, that he's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. Not one of God's people. And just like the leper had this uncleanness that excluded him, uh, now we have this ethnic divide. This uh, Gentile is separate from God. But he comes to Jesus, uh, verse 6, and says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. And Jesus jumps straight to the elephant in the room, uh, the awkward part of this interaction. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Now, the emphasis is on the I. Uh, It's not, shall I come and heal him? Uh, It's, shall I come and heal him? You want me to come into your house? Uh, It was against the law for a Jewish person to go into a Gentile house. It made them ritually unclean. And so what the centurion is asking of Jesus is outrageous to ask a Jew to come into his house. And Jesus calls it out. But the centurion's response is perfect. Verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. See, he, he knows that it's an outrageous thing to ask. But he also knows about authority. That's the key. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of... Uh, working alongside someone who's been in the army or the armed forces, it's good. Uh, they know how to get things done. You, you say, uh, I want to do this, and they do that. Uh, they know how to tell other people what to do. They know about lines of authority. Uh, things happen. And the centurion knows how authority works. And he knows that Jesus just has to say the word and his servant will be healed. That is the level of authority that Jesus has over sickness, over death. And Jesus is amazed, uh, which is unusual. Normally people are amazed at Jesus, but now Jesus is amazed at this outsider who gets it. He understands that Jesus 
is here to restore people back to God. And so he comes with authority and power to do that in the physical world as well. And Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The outsider has faith, a trust in Jesus that even the insiders don't have. He's recognised the authority of Jesus. Now at this point we have a dramatic pause in the story. Jesus hasn't responded to the question of the healing uh, of the servant. That's kind of just left hanging. And instead... uh, Jesus has something new to tell us about the people of God. Verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The picture is of a feast Jesus is talking about the eternal kingdom where uh, his people will live with God. And who's there? You've got Abraham and the patriarchs, of course, they're there. Uh, But along with them is people from the east and the west, people from uh, far and wide, every nation. And it's not the insiders. It's not those with family connections or heritage. Uh, That's not what it's about. The real people of God are the ones like this centurion who recognise Jesus' authority and put their trust in him. And then the pause is broken, and we get back to the healing. Verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus has that authority that the centurion is talking about. He says, Stop, and the paralysis stops. He says, Go, and the fever goes. Jesus is willing and able. Willing and able to restore this world back to God. And that is why he's worth going all in on. Because he's able to do both. He's willing and able. Gracious and compassionate. Willing to touch those who are defiled, the outcast. And powerful with authority to conquer sickness to defeat sin. And he's both willing and able. That's the picture that uh, Jesus' miracles give us. And that is why Jesus calls people to go all in. He calls people to go all in. As Jesus moves on from here, Matthew includes two stories about a couple of would-be disciples to see what it means to go all in on Jesus. And it means... Jesus above comfort and Jesus above culture. Jesus above comfort, Jesus above culture. If you're someone who likes practical applications, uh, this is the way time to tune in. This is where the rubber hits the road. Jesus above comfort, Jesus above culture. Verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that sounds like he's going all in, doesn't it? Uh, But listen to Jesus' reply, verse 20. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
Now, I'm sure that was true, that in Jesus' ministry there were times when they just roughed it, and I'm sure that, that is part of the answer, that uh, Jesus' disciples shouldn't expect a life of comfort. Uh, going all in on Jesus uh, will mean bearing some physical discomfort, enduring things that are hard. That, certainly that was true for Wellesley Bailey. Uh, the choice to go and serve those with leprosy in India certainly involved giving up physical comfort for their sake and for the sake of Christ. Uh, but also in the way that Jesus responds, it feels like it has this timeless quality, doesn't it? That the Son of Man is by definition without a home. Homeless in this world. Jesus comes and he's rejected. Unwelcome in his hometown, executed by his own people. And to become a disciple means to go with Jesus on that journey, uh, to find yourself homeless in this world. A a stranger on campus here at uni, uh, different from the world around you, because you belong to Jesus and live his way and not the way of the world. And I know that lots of you uh, here at Uni Church bear that cost already. Feeling like you don't belong. Feeling the discomfort of this world. But Jesus says that's what it means to be my disciple. To be all in. To put him above comfort. So Jesus above comfort and also Jesus above culture. Have a look at verse 21 with me. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It seems like a horrible thing for Jesus to say, doesn't it? Uh, His guy, his father's died and Jesus says, don't even go to the funeral. Uh, It seems more cruel than challenging. Um, That's probably not the situation. Uh, Because if this man's father has just died, then it's unlikely that he would be out talking to Jesus. Uh, What normally happened is the family kept a vigil around uh, the the dead person's body and as part of the the burial process. Uh, It's more likely that this man's father is still alive. And what he's asking to do is to go back home and to carry on with life until all of his family obligations are finished, right up to the point where his father dies. And at which point he'll be responsibility-free and then he'll be able to become Jesus' disciple. And Jesus says, no, following me is not like that. You can't just defer it until a convenient time. And that would have been very challenging in that culture time of huge cultural expectations. And Jesus says, those things don't take priority over me. And I think we still live with lots of cultural expectations, not to the same level, but uh, even today in Australia, uh, there's, there's expectations for how our life will play out. And we think, I'll take Jesus seriously once I've finished uni. I, I just need to get through study. Or... First let me find a girl, get married, or a boy, uh, and then I'll be all in. Once I can kind of get that all organised in life, I'll, I'll meet that expectation, and then I'll be all in. Or I just need uh, to pay off the mortgage, 
And then I'll be really all about Jesus. But until then, it has to be career. That has to take priority. But Jesus says, no. Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let those who belong to the world be concerned about the things of the world. You follow me. He says, being my disciple means me over comfort, me over culture. Follow me. That's what it means to be all in on Jesus. Losing comfort. Putting Jesus above our cultural expectations. The things that everyone expects us to do. That are Everyone else says are the most important things that you have to get right in life. But he's worth it. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. He came to restore us to God, to give us a place at that banquet of God. So if you're having trouble going all in on Jesus, then Matthew would say, look at his miracles. They are a taste of what he's doing. Matthew's deliberately written this uh, biography of Jesus so that we see his miracles, see the, the things that he can do. So we see who he is and then we're confronted by this challenge to be his disciples, to follow him. And the miracles uh, show us the reason why he is worth going all in on as the one who can make all things new. The one who will heal our diseases, our, our infirmities bring us back to God, give us an eternal life with Him. So, will you go all in? Oh, I pray, and then we're going to sing. Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us. We pray that you would not let us leave here unchanged that we will see what it means to be your disciples and joyfully uh, take that on because of who uh, Jesus is, his power and authority, his compassion and ability to make all things new. Thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.